Good morning, church. Good morning. Sometimes it's really nice to come up here and be able to see your beautiful faces rather than the back of your heads the entire service. So thank you, Pastor Jason, for giving me the opportunity to see your faces. So I'm usually sitting all the way back there. So when Pastor sent me this scripture, one of the words stuck, stuck out to me was harmony. And as I read through why David wrote this psalm, I was, I was enamored by the idea of brothers in unity. So we'll just say brothers and sisters in unity, right? It's always understood that that's there. But it really hit home in this climate that we're in, that God calls us into unity, especially in him and through him. And this world needs unity. This world needs people to come together. And I think as Christians, it is a calling on our lives to be in unity together and to set that example for those around us. And so, church, I'm calling us into unity. God is calling us into unity. And I want us to think about that as I read this psalm. I can only imagine what it was like to travel to Jerusalem at the time of a feast or what they had to do to prepare for that. Think about your travels, what you do when you get ready to go on vacation. Imagine what it would have been like for them. But they were going to celebrate. They were going to lift their hearts up to the Lord. And if we do that, if we set that example, others will follow us. So church, let's remember that as we read this. This isn't just a pretty scripture to read when we open service, but it's a calling. A song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. This is a psalm of David. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Just take that imagery and just picture that. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. We don't know how far apart those mountains were. But just think about the dew coming from that mountain. This is such beautiful imagery. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. What a promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the promises that you give us in scripture, Lord, may they make our days sweet. Lord, may we live in unity. May we come together as a church and set an example for this political climate that we live in, God. May we love each other. May we do what's on that banner behind me. May we love God and we love people. Lord, may we bring them to you through our love. I pray for this service, Lord. I pray for all that we do today, that it is uplifting to you, Lord, that we give you praise. I pray for pastor as he brings his sermon. Lord, that his words would touch our hearts, that this wouldn't be a simple message, but one that we can dissect and really take home with us, Lord, that we live throughout each and every day. I thank you for those who are worshiping with us online, Lord. I lift them up to you. May they be as much part of our family as those who are here. I thank you, God, for this place. I thank you, God, for this country where we can worship you freely. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and recite our creed together, please? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended to heaven, sorry, <coughs> and again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. 
From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in Christ's universal church, the communion of all believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's worship on this beautiful day. Good morning, everyone. I would encourage you again to make space in your worship time to one, rejoice, two, pray, be contemplative, and three, give thanks. As I was preparing for this service, specifically this first song, Your Grace is Enough, I was reminded of the sacrifice that was made to give us that grace. And the image that came into my mind was the crucifixion scene not from the greatest story ever told. You've seen that movie, right? From a long time ago. It's on every Easter. But the crucifixion scene in the Passion of Christ, which I believe is a lot more accurate. Was that sacrifice enough? Do I have to add anything to it? Can I add anything to it? No. There is nothing I can add to it. It is 100% done. That gives me goosebumps as I even think about it. Your grace is enough.
we are going to keep worshiping. The team is going to continue to lead us. But we're opening up the altars right now. So as you worship, if you need prayer, we invite you. We have people at the altars that can pray for you. Whether your need is great and seems impossible and how can God do this, we open the altars. Whether your need is small and you think it's insignificant, we open the altars. How
thank you, Lord. We thank you that we could come here and lift you high and worship your name. Lord, we seek after you. God, for better is one day with you than a thousand elsewhere. Better is life serving you, worshiping at your feet, than being exalted in this world or having any worldly gain. Lord God, open our eyes to that. God, use us each day and humble us. Give us your eyes that we would not see things in human light, but we would come to view things the way you do, for your ways are not our ways, nor your thoughts our thoughts. God, I pray that you would give us courage and embolden us to face the things in our life that we need to face and just throw off. Lord God, I pray that you would help us see the things that you need to work in and that we would not hide them from you, but we would ask you for help. The sins, the strongholds, the mindsets, the unforgiving heart. Lord God, I pray that you would just work in us and transform us, Lord God, and that we would take ground in these things, Lord. Lord God, we can't do that. If we don't face them, and that starts by asking you to just help us. Simply, Lord, just help us. Lord God, help us with our words that we may speak life in our homes, over our families, over our circumstances, and that also we would speak life over other people, that we would be a people that speak life over other people. Lord God, I pray for families in this room. Lord God, for this church body today. I pray that we would not be divided, but we would be united as brothers and sisters, as husbands and wives, as parents and children. I pray that we would fight against the one who is out to divide and destroy us. God, we put so many things first. It seems at times that we leave you behind and we don't want to do the things that you are calling us to do. Lord, I pray that we would keep our eyes fixed on you alone in the chaos and busyness of life, in the ups and downs, in the disappointments, I pray that our eyes would stay focused on you. God, I pray for your church, for those watching online, for the people here. Lord God, I pray that we would rise up and be the people you have called us to be. And we love you, Jesus. Be magnified and glorified in this service today. Amen. Amen. Take a moment and greet somebody today.
Good morning again. It is wonderful to see everyone here this morning, and thank you for those of you joining us online. Um, if this is one of your first times here and you haven't been over to the Information Center or haven't met everyone, anyone, we invite you to do that. There are cards in front of you, um, or maybe someone handed you a card on your way, way in this morning. Um, we would love if you could fill that out so we would, can get to know you a little bit better um, and bring it to Pastor Jerry after the service um, at the Information Center. And um, There's a gift for you waiting there. But most of all, it's a gift to us that you are here and that we get to know you um, and learn about you a little bit. So welcome. Next week, we will not be meeting here in sanctuary. We will be taking our worship and our sanctuary with us to Meadow Breeze. So Meadow Breeze Park, same time, 10 o'clock, um, underneath the pavilion there. We will be meeting. Um, there are picnic tables there for you to set at. If you prefer not a picnic table, you can bring a chair with you. Um, and if you desire, bring a side or a dessert to share. We'll be making hot dogs and hamburgers. So please plan to stay for a little bit after the service. It will be a pared down time of worship and word together and a time for us to have fellowship afterwards. Speaking of fellowship, for the ladies, um, this Friday night is Sweet Night at Joy's. So um, 6 o'clock, we're doing appetizers and desserts at Joy Pettibone's house, our pastor's wife. So if you don't know where she lives or would like to find out more information, you can see Joy. Or you can even ask Pastor Jerry, and he can give you uh, the right directions to get there. Um, we invite you as ladies to come and be part of that. If you already know that you're coming and already know that you want to bring something, you can let Joy know. If you're going to decide last minute on Friday at 530, you can still come. You don't have to bring anything. Just come. We would love for you to be part of that time together. So mark it on your calendar, 6 o'clock this Friday night. Um, Joy lives in Pastor Jason and Joy live in Belvedere, um, and we would love to spend some time with you. And again, even if you decide last minute, you just come and spend that time with us. Um, also coming up, hopefully this is already on your calendar. For those of you who have been part of our congregation but have not taken the step to become a member, we will be having a new members class at 8.30 on September 30th. That is a Saturday morning. Um, so Pastor Jason will go through with you what it means to be a member here, what it means to be part of the Assemblies of God, um, and set up a time for you to be um, Come in front of the congregation and be officially installed as a member. So we would love for you to do that. Um, if you've been here and would like to be more involved, we very, very much encourage you. Um, me as a member of the leadership team as well as a deacon, um, that gives you an opportunity to serve in many, many ways if you become a member. So we would love for you to do that. And finally, as we thank you for your giving, as we thank you for your faithfulness, it is that time. It is back to school time. That means it's back to Awana and back to youth. So September 10th, we will be starting up our fall programming again. Awana and youth at 4 o'clock. Awana meets here for kids in preschool through 6th grade. Youth meets up at the fellowship hall for kids in 7th grade through 12th grade. Um, if you have any questions about that, um, my name's Laura, and I oversee the children's ministry. This is Gary down here, and he oversees the youth ministry. Um, and we would love to talk to you about having your kids um, either here with the younger ones or up there with the older ones. This is a way that we as a church are able to disciple a younger generation. That is one of our core values. So thank you for making that possible. We are planning, we're preparing, we're buying things, we're doing things, um, and your giving makes that possible. So thank you for praying for us. We would ask that you pray for us as we plan. Thank you for being part of this church body. 
for being part of our family. Um, let's continue to worship together. Why don't we stand? This is a new song to our congregation. When we approach a new song, it's my goal that we don't necessarily get everything out of the song, but that we come out of the service with something, something that we can take out for the rest of our week. The chorus of the song is, I trust in God, my Savior, the one who will never fail. He will never fail. If you walk out of here with that in your heart, then we will have been successful this morning. Oh, 
so much for how much you love us. And I thank you that we can declare that we trust you. We can declare that you'll never fail. God, in our humanity, if we're honest, there are times where it feels like we're not sure. God, there are some even this morning who are here who are going through the going through the midst of it. And I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would show each of us, especially those going through the trials, that we're not alone, that we're not abandoned, that you have a plan, a promise, and a purpose for our lives. God, I pray you'd be honored by everything we say and do today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Children, you are dismissed to Kids Church. And while they go, check this out. times we have to watch that video that's the problem with doing series that last a long time is you watch the same uh some of the same bumpers uh for a while well we're we're coming to the end of the 10 commandments series that we've been talking about this summer if you're new here uh this morning good morning thank you so much for joining us and if we haven't met my name is jason i'm the pastor here at uh, fdc it's a pleasure and an honor that you would join us we've been working our way through the 10 commandments and and the israelites experience at sinai throughout this summer and uh and so we've watched that bumper many times 
but we only have to watch it one more time. In two weeks, I think we'll be done. Uh, I think. Uh, and if you're joining us online, uh, we're glad you're here. Talk and discuss things in the chat. Actually, I've had some people uh, online reach out to me this morning uh, about the service already. So uh, glad you're plugged in. Tracy, we, uh, uh, we're, we're looking forward to when you're, you're back. But uh, I told her I'd give her a shout out. So there you go. So, um, yeah, Ten Commandments. Uh, actually, we've been studying the, the Israelites' experience at Sinai. And it's more than just the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are more than just uh, a sign that hangs in your dining room or your hallway. They're more than just a thing, a plaque that hangs in a courthouse or that people argue about whether it should hang in the courthouse. If you remember earlier in the series, if you were with us, we talked about how the Ten Commandments are, uh, are, are God's plan, God's purpose in giving them to Moses and to the people of Israel what they would, is that they would be the foundation for this new society that God was trying to uh, orchestrate in the world. This new way of living that God would, would use as an opportunity not only to bless Israel, but to bless the whole world through them. And so the, uh, we've been uh, working through it. And I had planned, uh, last week we did two commandments. We did don't murder and we did don't commit adultery. And I had planned to do two more today. Today we were going with don't steal and don't bear false witness against your neighbor, which is better translated for easier things. Don't steal, don't lie. We were gonna, today was gonna be the don't lie, cheat, or steal day. Cause they're easy, right? And then the more I studied steal, the more I was like, I don't think I could get past steal. So today, we're gonna focus on do not steal, and, uh, we'll move on, and then, uh, within the next two weeks, I think we'll be able to wrap it up, but I make no promises, cause the more I read, the more I get, and the more I wanna share with you what I'm, uh, seeing. Next week, Laura already said we won't be here in this room. We'll be uh, at Meadow Breeze Park, and um, there we'll talk about don't lying or not lying. And so, but it, FTC at the park, we're going to have burgers and dogs and food, and some and people are bringing uh, sides and salads and desserts, and we'll have drinks, and it's a great day. I already talked to God. The weather's going to be awesome, like 78. And breezy, but not cold. It's going to be fantastic. Um, but it's a great, actually a great opportunity for us to hang out, get, uh, spend the day together, share meal together. But also it's a great way for you to invite somebody to church. Um, most of the time, most people come to church. The number one way people come to church is they're invited. And sometimes it can be awkward. If we're honest, it can be awkward to invite somebody to church. But when we think about uh, creating opportunities for people to do that, a picnic at the park where their kids can play on the playground and their soccer field and volleyball, is an, it's a great opportunity for you if you're in the middle of a conversation this week to invite somebody to church. So I encourage you to do that. And um, if somebody says they're coming and you want to just shoot me an email, I'll begin to pray for them. Let, just let me know their name and I'll be praying for them. And uh, that's all, uh, awesome. Um, we, like I said, if you haven't been here in a while, we've been talking about the commandments. And so, so far we've taken deep dives into worship no one but Yahweh. We've said represent Yahweh well, observe the Sabbath, 
Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. And today we'll focus on the next command, but first let's read Exodus chapter 20, verses 13 through 17. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or male or female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When we were discussing the, the, the murder command last Sunday, I said that the, that fifth commandment begins the do nots. Um, the ideas of what you shouldn't do in your society. And I said that this, I think that may have been the genesis of people thinking that Christianity is built on restrictive or prohibitive rules. Um, and certainly these next commands continue that theme. I would say to you, that we, if we think of what the commands tell us not to do and we don't explore what they encourage us to do, we're missing the point. If we're always focused on the do nots, it's very negative. Time out. I need to interrupt myself for just a second. I don't ever do this. I don't, I don't typically do birth, birthday shout outs from the pulpit, but Margaret's turning 98 on Tuesday. That's 98. If you get to 98, I'll call you out too. We need to focus on what the commit, not only what the restriction is, but why the restriction and what that propels us into. So this next commandment, what I'm calling the seventh commandment, is you shall not steal. Don't steal. It's an easy one. Just as I said last week when I was discussing don't murder, this seems like an obvious, uncontroversial commandment. And if it was to go unstated, um, we as human beings and good neighbors, we would simply assume this is another one of those ones that's easy to follow. It's, it's like this is one of the important ones we would all say. And so uh, surely people from all times and all places can agree that we shouldn't steal from each other. In fact, a survey conducted a couple of years ago by the Barna Group uh, found that 86% of people, when asked if they uh, follow this command, 86% of the people said, uh, of adults said they fully satisfy the requirement of the command of thou shalt not steal. But the question I had when I read, when I read the results of that statistic or, or that survey was, what exactly are people saying that they had adhered to? And so once again this morning with today's commandment, I want to ask uh, and answer three questions uh, about, about this commandment. First, does this co- what does this commandment actually prohibit? Second, how does it uh, apply to us today? And third, how did Jesus expand the scope of this command? Regarding the, the, the don't steal command, let's begin by addressing our first question. What does this command actually prohibit? And to answer this question, I, I'm going to go back to something I referenced a few weeks ago, the Heidelberg Catechism, which happened in 1563. And the reason I'm doing that is because they answered this exact question in that meeting or Months-long meeting. They said that this command forbids outright theft and robbery. 
That's a good start. If that were the whole of it, we would be done now. But it goes on. It says, but not only theft and robbery, outright theft and robbery. In God's sight, theft includes cheating and swindling our neighbors by schemes made to appear legitimate, such as inaccurate weights of measure, size, or volume. It also includes fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, charging excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God of taking advantage of your neighbor. In addition, they said, God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts by this command. And now this command is so much more than just two words. See, suddenly it's not so easy to live up to this commandment at all. I wonder what the responses to the Barney servant men might have been if the questions were like this. Have you ever cheated? Have you ever tried to swindle someone or get one get over on your neighbor by not being completely upfront with all relevant information? Are you ever greedy? Suddenly, it seems that the ability to live up to it is more theoretical than practical. But remember, God was looking to establish in the world through the Israelites a different type of a society. A with a culture that was looking to gear its way to prioritize someone else over themselves. And so God wanted this idea of don't steal, don't be greedy, don't be a cheat, don't take advantage of other people in a way that benefits you over them. He wanted this to not be a theory or theoretical. He wanted this to be a practical, everyday way of life. He wanted his people to live in such a way that they were peculiar. See, inferred in this commandment is an assumption that people uh, have the right and the goodness of owning personal property. And this isn't just a modern idea. It's, it's all throughout the Bible. The, in the Old Testament, the law, which is what God gave Moses at Sinai, it operated under the assumption that God cared a lot about personal possession. This is Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. Exodus 22 has a whole list of of rules or commands that have to do with boundary markers and setting aside one's personal property. God took this very seriously. It's not happenstance that you have something. And it's not wrong to have something. In the New the New Testament presents a picture of the early church where people freely gave, shared, and provided for each other. And they did so by selling their possessions. But they were not, let me be very clear, when you read uh, uh, Acts, the first couple chapters, it can seem like they're almost like a commune. Or, um, or a society where people just had to put all their possessions in a pot and no one owned anything. That wasn't the case. It was a communal instinct. You see, there's a big difference of being required to give up everything for the group. There's nuance involved, and there's understanding of, of things. The New Testament seemed to, have found, seemed to have found a balance between owning things 
and sharing things and understanding that the people that they were living with, that they were communed with, they were, they were in community with, were more important than the personal items that they owned. And so if someone was in need, their need was more important than my stuff. There's a difference between someone who says, I see my brother or sister's need and I will do what I can to meet it rather than you have to get someone being told, get rid of that stuff so that they get, so that they, you take care of them. You see, it's the New Testament brings this to a place where people live this out in a very practical manner, not because they're commanded to, but because they want to, because they love their brother and sister more than they love their stuff. This idea was very clear to me several, several years ago. Um, Joy and I's youngest son, Jack, um, he is two months older than his cousin. And so we lived near uh, where they lived. And so often Jack and his cousin Marley would um, have play dates. But they were so young, they didn't know it. They would just kind of be in the same room often on the same floor. And one day, um, Marley, Jack's cousin, came, and her mom brought uh, little crackers. They came from a little cup uh, or a little thing like this tall. I don't even remember what they're called. But my kids loved them growing up. And uh, she brought them. And Marley, who can't talk yet but can make noises, um, Put, uh, they put them in the middle of Marley and, and Jack. And so Marley takes some and she's eating them. And then Jack sees it and he picks it up and he starts taking it from it. And Marley goes to get some and Jack just sticks out his arm and blocks her. Nope, these are mine. First of all, they weren't his. But he wasn't at all interested in sharing. And like... Somehow, we got that on video. And throughout the years, there may be nine, ten months. And at that point, Jack was completely nonverbal. He didn't make sounds. So he communicated through messaging. And in that moment, his messaging was, this ain't for you. And we've watched that throughout the, 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 throughout the years. And every time we watch it, we think it's hilarious. But the heart of it is something we're all often doing. It's natural for us to stick up our hand and say, this is mine. There's nothing wrong with the fact that it's ours. But when it becomes more important than them, that's when we fall into a problem. And it seems that the New Testament, the the early church, had found a good balance in that. And so how does this, so, so that's what this command prohibits. So how does this apply to us today? Well, the obvious first part of the answer is, uh, then, like today, we shouldn't steal because it's illegal. But if our whole motivation for doing that is um, that it's illegal, probably not representing God's heart in the matter. Uh, This command is not simply refraining from stealing. If it were, some people might think, all I've got to do is just not take stuff um, so that I do what God wants me to do. 
But see, God wants to work on our hearts so we're not greedy. Um, not that we would just be existing in the letter of the law. God wants us to expo- expose or introduce a new model of living to the world. God's looking for more than just this command. At its root, do not steal actually means thinking more of others. Uh, think, I mean, actually means thinking of others as we would want to be thought of. It was God's way of telling Israel that they needed to live with a spirit of generosity so that they would learn to love to give up things in order to help people in need. Now, it's very important that we recognize that he was wanting them to learn to live differently. Every once in a while, we meet somebody who's got the gift of generosity. It just seems like they live in such a way that it, it becomes natural to them to give up anything to help someone else. Then there's the 99 out of the 100 of the rest of us. Not every one of us is born with that gift. That doesn't mean that we're bad people. But it means we need to learn like the Israelites, Israelites needed to learn to live differently than what comes naturally to us. We think it's funny when a, when a one-year-old sticks his hand out to not share, but when we, inter- when we meet a 25-year-old or a 30-year-old, a person at work who's not willing to share, it's not funny anymore. It's one thing to understand that this young child hasn't learned the way of society yet, but it's another thing that we as adults haven't learned the way of society yet. And God's saying, not just don't do this so that you don't look bad. He's saying, it's a totally different motivation now. And we see that through the work of Jesus. Jesus expands, as he did, as we talked about last week with the two commands. Jesus expands the scope of the command. Jesus shows us how important not stealing is in a couple of situations. First, we read about Jesus' interaction with a wealthy person in Mark chapter 10. It says, in verse 17, it says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell at his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. You shall not, uh, you should honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have done since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go and sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus begins by telling him to follow the commands. And when he says he'd done that, Jesus tells him to be exceedingly generous. And the man is troubled at this because Jesus is concerned less about behavioral checklists than he is about the man's heart motivation. You see, I'm guessing, I wasn't there, but I'm guessing Jesus picked up pretty quickly what was really important to this guy. When I was uh, 12 years old, I got my first job. I was the custodian of my dad's church. 
made $4 an hour. The church had built, uh, we lived in a church parsonage that was a, on a one square acre. And they had built a multi-purpose facility that uh, had a gymnasium and uh, the community used it. And uh, it worked. we worked with the United Way. They would use it throughout the week. And then we'd have church in that same location on Sunday mornings. And so it was my job on Saturdays to vacuum the church, clean the bathrooms, and set up the, church, the chairs. And it, it would take me about four hours on a Saturday to take care of those things. Um, so from about four to about eight, I'd go and vacuum, clean the bathrooms, and set up the chairs. And roughly 50% of the time, I'd be back there at 1030 at night when my father came and woke me up and told me to go do it right. See, my father cared that the, that the job was done well. And he, had, he understood two things. One, the most important thing to clean are the foyers and the bathrooms. Foyers are the first pe- thing people see when they walk in. It sets their uh, perception for how the building's going to be kept. And a dirty bathroom, a visitor goes to a dirty bathroom, they ain't coming back. My father was very secure about that. I was less concerned about those things as my father was. Also, it really irritated my father when the chairs didn't line up. It's like, you're here doing it. Just do it correctly. And so I, I learned, I ran, I oftentimes had something else I wanted to do. Typically there was a game that was going to be on television, whether it was college football or baseball or NBA, like throughout the year, any time of year, there was something that there was going to be a game on at, 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 in the evening on Saturday night that was more important to me than my job. So I did my job by running through the checklist. Foyer's vacuum, checked. Uh, sanctuary vacuum, check. Uh, bathroom's clean, check. Chair set up, check. But my father wasn't interested in the checklist. He was interested in the job being done correctly. Jesus wasn't interested in just the checklist of the commands that the guy follows. He was interested in the motivations of the man's heart. You can start that by going through the commands. Because for God's, for Israel, the Ten Commandments were the basis. They were the foundation of how we should treat one another and how we should worship God. But that was, what the, that was the foundation that God built everything on, that he was going to bless the world through them. And so when he says don't steal, he's not saying keep your, don't touch your neighbor's stuff. What he's saying is love your neighbor more than yourself. Don't be greedy. The second place I see this is I see Jesus shows feelings about this command in Mark chapter 11. It's one chapter later, verses 15 through 17. It says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Mark says Jesus began to drive out uh, 
hold on, I got to get this back. Suddenly my tablet's being funny the last couple of weeks. Mark says Jesus began to drive out the people uh, buying and selling animals for sacrifices. And uh, why would he do that? You see, let's say you lived 30 miles away from Jerusalem and you brought your own lamb for sacrifice in your annual trek there. You get there and the lamb has to be inspected by one of the priests. You see, the lamb, in order for it to be approved for sacrifice, must be without blemish or or can't be used. And so let's say the priest finds a blemish or as often was the case. History tells us the priest would say he found a blemish. I'm not saying my dad always found a problem in the foyers. I'm not saying he made it up. But history tells us that the priests at the temple in Jerusalem, if they didn't find a blemish, would find a blemish. Because they were interested in selling their lambs. It's how they funded the temple. The problem was, so let's say you go there. You're not going to walk 30 miles back home. You're going to buy a lamb that's acceptable. But history tells us that they would charge as much as 16 times more than its value for those sacrificial lambs. So if that, if that lamb was worth $10... It was now, when you bought one at the temple, $160. If it was, if it was $100, then it was $1,600. Whatever the, the translation was, it was 16 times, it was up to 16 times more to buy the, the one at the thing. It's like going to Disney World and buying water there. See, it was uh, for the priest, for the temple, uh, economy, it was about the money. But Jesus saw it as, a, as taking up precious space that was designed for people to worship God. Jesus talks, uh, Mark tells us that Jesus knocked, also knocked over the table of the money changers. In changing, uh, instead of changing, exchanging the foreign coin for the local coin at a fair price, they were hiking up the prices of these as well. The problem was not, for Jesus, was not that they were exchanging money. The problem was they were charging outrageous exchange fees for the service and they were profiting off these people because Jesus was concerned not about the fulfillment, the strict only fulfillment of the checklist. He wanted to check people's heart motivation. Because when God gave the commands to the Israelites, he was concerned about how their heart would would, would resonate throughout the world. People needed money to buy sacrifices. They needed to pay the temple tax. They needed food, lodging, um, oil, spices, and all these things surrounding the Passover. Oftentimes it was about money, and Jesus finds the temple, the place designed for worship, as the place cheating people. And then it says that he goes, Mark goes on to say that he knocked over the chairs of those selling doves. I've said this before, sometimes... If you haven't heard me say this, this will be the first time you've heard me say it. But sometimes we read the Bible 
and we don't really re- we don't really think about what we're reading. We just receive it's the Bible, so we just take it at face value, and we often just overlook things that seem weird. Why does Mark call out the fact that he's turning over the tables of the doves? What's significant about the doves? See, if someone couldn't afford a lamb, i.e., if there were people who were poor, the sacrifice of a dove was acceptable in replacement as a lamb. And Jesus goes over and he finds them abusing and taking advantage of the poor people. Oh, what a punch in the gut that must have been to see his father's house being a place where even the disadvantaged are taken advantage of. And he gets angry and he turns over the tables. See, his parents had been poor. We read in, in Luke chapter 2 that it was a dove that Joseph and Mary brought when they dedicated Jesus in the temple. He understood the importance. See, in Leviticus 14, in the Old Testament, it talks about using a dove for if you can't afford a lamb. Jesus understood the economy of not always having enough. It was part of his personal life. It was part of his growing up. And so he watches people being taken advantage of who should, I mean, who shouldn't be taken advantage of. For Jesus, it's a hard issue. And it's something that Paul goes on to tie into in his letter to the Ephesians when he's discussing a new way to live. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is talking to the people in Ephesus. By the way, this side note, we'll talk about this more in the spring. But if you ever get a chance to go to Ephesus, go to Ephesus. It's amazing. In Ephesians chapter 4, after talking about the importance of unity amongst the body, something Teresa called out this morning when she was talking about our call to worship. Paul talks about the importance of, of togetherness amongst us. And then he sets out, starting in verse 17, he, he sets out with what is subtitled instructions for Christian living. He's talking about uh, the new way to live in such a way. Ephesus is not a, a, a Jewish city. It's not a Hebrew city. It's not one with traditions of the Israelites known, but it's one where Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians are learning to coexist. And Jesus says, here's rules for how you should behave in, a, in the middle of a society that's not, doesn't share your faith or your uh, moral code or your ethics code. And he goes on and eventually he gets to, I don't know why I don't have uh, the, the reference in my, do we have that verse? It's 28. He says, anyone who must, who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Jesus gets to a point, or Paul comes to an understanding of the life that God was 
pushing us to. The way of living that Jesus was encouraging and urging us into was not just the focus on what not to do. Not just the restriction. Not just the technicality of being able to follow the checklist. But the heart behind it. For Paul, he says, if you've been sealing, stop doing that. Stop doing that. By the way, that's a picture of grace. He doesn't say, in the Old Testament, you know what happened if you stole and you got caught? You died. The penalty for theft, yeah, they cut your hand off, but the penalty, ultimately the penalty for violating a commandment was death. Paul's writing to the feast, he says, if you've been doing that, stop. We don't, it's not in my notes, not, just for a second. That's what David was talking about earlier. You don't have to pay the penalty of death for it anymore. You know why? Because that's been paid. Jesus paid that debt. So Paul says, you don't got to pay the debt of death. Just stop doing it. Live differently. In fact, don't just not do it, but work. How should you work? Work hard. Why? So that you can acquire lots of stuff and never need to steal. Nope. Work hard so that when you find someone else in need, you can provide for them. That's a different way to live. It makes the command way more difficult to live up to when you understand God's not interested in simply our behavior. He's interested in the motivations of our heart. Be generous care about the person next to you. Coming up on two years as part of this church for Joy and I, and we have continually been amazed at the generosity and love that the people of this church have for each other, have for the community. It is a honor for us to be part of a community of faith that's concerned about our brothers and sisters. That's the standard that God laid out in his commandments. That our foundation, excuse me, would be on each other. Would you pray with me this morning? God, thank you so much for how much you love us. I thank you that you've called us to live in a standard that's different than the one that comes naturally to us. But one that would represent the different way of living, the different way of loving. That only you can encourage, bring us into you. As we come to the table this morning. pray that we would embrace the community that we're coming to the table with that our love and our eyes would be for each other 
that we would live in such a way, not that we just wouldn't take from each other, but instead we would be exceedingly generous towards each other. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite the elders to come forward. And if you're new with us, we share communion most weeks. And what we do is we invite you to come forward and receive the elements from one of our elders and then bring them back to your seat. We'll, do, we'll, we'll share communion together. And so we invite you to stand and come to the center aisle. If you're not ready to do that, that's fine. No judgment on that. And if you're not able to walk forward, we will get someone to bring it to you. But now I'm going to invite everybody to come forward and receive the elements and we'll share communion together. Scripture teaches us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he was sitting having dinner with his disciples. And uh, it was a meal they were sharing together. And it was a meal that they would share together every year during the Passover. And he knew that. It's part of the tradition. He knew this was the last time he would share this meal with them. And so when he got to the bread, he took the bread and he broke it. And he blessed it. And he told them that this bread was his body that had been broken for them. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I thank you that you allowed your body to be broken for us. Lord, we talked briefly about the penalty of error and the consequences. God, I thank you that for eternity you've taken the consequences. Be honored by my choices. May my heart's motivation 
be to honor you. In your name I pray. Amen. Would you take the bread? In the same way, it says in 1 Corinthians 11, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. It was another part of a ceremonial, traditional meal. But it was no longer just a ceremonial, traditional element of the meal. See, it was representative of a new way of living. A new way of receiving grace. God's called us into a new way of living in the world. And when we fall short of it, Jesus has given us a new way of grace to receive it, to be right with God. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your blood that washes me clean. That makes a way for me to be right with the Father. God, I pray in my own heart for the motivations of my own violations of the commandment we've talked about. God, would you, to- would you overturn the tables with bad motivation in my heart so that I could be right with an understanding and represent you well in the world? Be honored by our lives. May we point people in the direction of hope that only you can provide. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you take the cup? I'd invite you to stand as I offer today's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God, I pray that that peace, that peace that it talks about in that benediction, in that blessing over Aaron, that that would radiate in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our cars, in our countenance, that the peace that passes understanding would be real to each one of us this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. See you next Sunday at the park. Have a great week. Thank you so much.